0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text for today is from the familiar section in Ephesians chapter 2, we hear verses 1 through 10. Please rise as we hear these words in Jesus' name. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked when you followed the ways of this present world. You were following the ruler of the domain of the air, the spirit now at work, and the people who disobey. Formerly, we all lived among them, in the passions of our sinful flesh, as we carried out the desires of the sinful flesh and its thoughts. Like all the others, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. But God, because he is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. He also raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He did this so that in the coming ages he might demonstrate the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance so that we would walk in them. And we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for making us, who should be spiritually dead, alive in Christ, Strengthen our faith and trust in his work today and always. Amen. Please be seated. What do we as Christians believe? If someone were to ask you that question, you would do well to open up Ephesians chapter 2 and, and share this section with them, that wonder. This is a clear, concise section that that really outlines and details for us the heart and core of the Christian faith, of what we believe, of what we are all about, of how it is that you and I have heaven. It's spelled out for us in this precious and vital message that we all need to hear repeatedly, that we who are naturally spiritually dead are made alive by God through faith in Christ. The other day I was sitting down on my couch, I picked up my remote, I was going to watch some TV, push the button, nothing happened. So then I start doing this, you start trying all sorts of different angles, trying to turn the TV on, maybe something's blocking that infrared ray, nothing happened. So then you whack the remote a few times and you try and push the button. Still nothing. Finally, I get up out of the couch and start walking towards my TV, mashing that button. Nothing happens. Has that ever happened to you? So then you peel off the back, and lo and behold, no batteries. Obviously harvested, being used to power some toy somewhere in my house. That remote, it doesn't matter. How much I push that button, it doesn't matter all the different angles that I try, it doesn't matter how close I am to the TV, that remote is not going to work. It's not going to do anything. It's completely worthless without the power in it, without those batteries, totally, completely dead, unable to help me. It cannot fulfill its function, unable to be of any worth or value. It has no power in itself to do anything. By nature, spiritually speaking, we are like that remote. We are unable to do anything. We lack the ability to approach God. We lack the ability to to even begin to stand in God's holy presence. We can't be of any help or service to God. We can't do anything that is pleasing to God. Because there is no life in us by nature. Our default setting is, as Paul points out, dead, spiritually dead before God. Sure, we might be breathing, we might be walking, we might be talking, but spiritually speaking, the natural human condition is that of being enemies with God. We are at odds with God. The Bible clearly says we are hostile to God by nature. We are dead before him. And this has been the case ever since the fall into sin. Even the first generation of kids are committing terrible sins. We have fallen short of God's glory. We have sinned. That means that we have missed the mark of perfection that God has requires we have chosen instead to trespass and trespass means that we have crossed a line that God has drawn we have chosen to go across that line and we're wandering off in areas that we shouldn't go instead of loving God and loving our neighbors as the commandments demand we have been selfish we've mistreated God we've mistreated the people around us and then we come up with excuses for why it's okay that we've done this We're supposed to love even our enemies, and yet we've done a very poor job of of showing love. Instead, we've mistreated, we've abused those who are closest to us, our friends, our family members, our spouses. And in those moments then when we have been wronged, in those moments where, where someone has done something against us, we feel justified then to get back at them, to get even with them, even though... It's clear that God desires people to be merciful, to show forgiveness, to show love to that other person, even when they don't deserve it. Oh man, giving grace to others is so hard to do. St. Paul, in our text, he emphasizes this harsh reality of our natural condition in our text for today. In the beginning of our text, when he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You followed the ways of this present world. You were following the ruler of the dominion of the air. And there he's talking about Satan. The spirit now at work in the people who disobey. We lived among them in the passions of our sinful flesh, carried out the desires of the sinful flesh. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. By nature, St. Paul explains, we were conforming to the wishes of Satan. We were in league with the devil. We've been carrying out the passions and desires of our our sinful flesh, our sinful inclinations. We've been following after the trends and the ideas of an evil, doomed world. This serves as evidence of, of the natural condition that we have, the natural condition that we are God's enemies by nature we should be dead before him I'm going to ask you a silly question it's obvious can a person choose to be alive can a dead person choose to come back from death can a person who is dead do something to somehow bring himself back to life can we go and fight against, can we on our own, because of our own efforts and abilities, be victorious over death? Now, of course, people are working hard. They, they try to do this. Think of all the money, all the dedication, all of the technologies, all of the medicines, all of the work, the effort, the pain, the suffering that people put up with just to push death off temporarily. And yet, the ultimate statistic remains the same. Ten out of ten people die. And the Bible explains why that's the case. Death comes to all because all have sinned, says Romans chapter 5. The soul who sins is the one who will die, Ezekiel 18. And this is a problem that we have even from the very beginning of life. King David lays it out in Psalm 51. Certainly I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And yet in spite of these these harsh truths that we find here about about our nature, about how we are spiritually dead, a Barna poll from a few years ago reports that 54% of Americans, and probably more today, Believed that if you are generally good, if you do enough good for other people, then you can earn a place in heaven. In spite of these harsh truths that we see in our text for today, there are others out there, sadly, even church bodies, who say, you have to assist God in earning your salvation. In spite of these truths about our sinful, dead nature, there are some people out there who say, yeah. But you still have to decide. You have to make a decision to believe in God. You have to be the one who walks through the door of faith if you want to be saved. How can any of these things be possible if we are, as Paul says, dead? The remote control without batteries is worthless. It can't do anything. A dead body lying in a morgue can't get up and walk through the door back to life. It is dead. And so too are you. So too is the same with me. By nature, because you and I are are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. By nature, people are separated apart from God. We're in danger also of staying that way forever. Another clear teaching of scripture is that when spiritual death meets physical or temporal death, when the body dies, when these two things are combined, then occurs the most terrifying, catastrophic, awful situation that could ever happen to a person. Spiritual death and physical death equates to eternal death, condemnation in hell. It's terrifying, it's frightening. But thank God for the next words that come in our text. St. Paul, after laying out the, the terrifying natural condition that we are all in, of being spiritually dead, of how we have been in league with Satan, how we have been apart and separated from God, he follows with a most glorious word. The beginning of verse five in our text, he says, "But. But God." Paul here shifts gears. He sets aside and pushes off the terror and the fear and he wants us to erase those things because behold now, God has a glorious masterpiece for you. Paul explains, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trespasses, it is by grace you have been saved. You and I, we were dead, completely unable to do anything. And so Paul points out God is the one who does everything for us. And he does this. Why? Because of his mercy, because of his love, because of his grace. That's why he makes us alive. And what great news this is for us. It all starts with God. It all ends with God from beginning to end. It's all God's doing. He does it all. The work of saving us, of bringing us back from death to life. It's a free gift that he now shares with you. And there's nothing that you have to do for it. This is something that's so crystal clear in our text. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And even this faith, that faith isn't something that, that you and I have to do. It's not a decision that we make. It's not a good work that we have to do. It's a simple trust that God plants in our hearts. As Paul explains, not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Dear friends, this is incredibly comforting. This is so wonderful. What certainty and assurance this gives to you as a Christian that it's not in your hands. You can't mess it up because it is fully in God's hands. He does it all for you. Remember how Jesus' friend Lazarus had died. He was buried. Four days passed and it was clear to everyone Lazarus didn't have the power to come back from the dead on his own. He was staying in that tomb. But then Jesus comes along. And Jesus has the powerful, life-giving word that belongs to God. Jesus is God. And he speaks to Lazarus. And the words that Jesus speaks to Lazarus' dead body awakens Lazarus. And because of that, because of what Jesus did for Lazarus, Lazarus then was able to walk out of the door of his tomb back to his life. What did Lazarus do to have life? Nothing. What did Jesus do so that Lazarus could have life? He did it all. He did everything. And so it is for us and for the spiritual life that you have. Our text is so clear. It's not what we do. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for us. Same thing with our gospel lesson for today. The familiar parable of the the Pharisee and the tax collector. That Pharisee in the temple. He was pointing at his own good works. Everything that he did. But we're told he didn't go home justified. He remained spiritually dead. Instead, it was that, that crooked tax collector who didn't deserve life, and yet with a repentant heart, he turned to God, he put his trust in the mercy of God. And he was the one who went home justified, right with God. And this is what we do too. We admit how we are spiritually dead, how we are in need of help, and we turn to Jesus, hearing and and trusting in his mercy and grace. And glory be to Jesus, he gives it to us. Our Lord Jesus committed no sin. Throughout his life, he was holy and righteous. He never even had that curse of sin that we are born with, that King David explained. Because as we confess, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit He had no original or inherited sin. He was exempt from death because he did not sin. And yet, our Lord Jesus willingly suffered death. He marched straight to death for you and for me to do what we couldn't do. He took all of our sin, all of our guilt, the sin and guilt of the entire world. He put that upon his own shoulders. He took it with him to the cross Our trespasses, our sins, so that everyone's debt of sin might be paid. I love how St. Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when he says, He who did not know sin, it's Jesus, he did not know sin, he didn't sin, he became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then, on the third day, on Easter morning, What do we see? The tomb, it's open, it's empty. Jesus is risen and that's proof to us that he is in fact victorious over death itself. He has power over death. He has authority over death. And this power and authority that our Savior has over death, he now shares with you and me. He makes you and me alive. And he does that. He shares that powerful message. Just as he spoke to Lazarus, and brought him back to life. He is speaking to us who should be spiritually dead here in this place, and he brings us spiritual life. He does that here as as he speaks to us through his word, as he shares with us his sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Here in this place, we are tied together with Jesus so that everything Jesus did his sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins that he won, it now belongs to you and to me. As we hear the absolution, as you hear, you are baptized. And when you're reminded, you were baptized in the name of the triune God. As you gather around the altar and you receive the, the body and blood of Christ Christ, For the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus is coming to you with his powerful, life-giving, death-defeating declaration. He is planting and strengthening faith that lives in your heart. And as he does this, he flings open wide the gates of heaven itself. And he says, you are coming here to be with me. All the surpassing riches, the incomparable beauty and joy of heaven, it belongs to us, not because of anything we have done, not because we deserve it, but because of the mercy, the love, the grace, all of the work, the life, the death, the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. This is yours. Jesus declares that you get to go home justified before God, not because of anything you've done, but because of his work for you. Imagine someone walking into the Louvre. Ever heard of the Louvre? It's probably the most famous art museum in the world. It's in Paris, France. Imagine someone walking into the Louvre, walking up to the the Mona Lisa and saying, wow, I think Leonardo did a lousy job. I think I'm going to fix it and they pull out some paints, and they start touching it up, they wouldn't even get close to it. Of course, they'd get tackled and arrested, carried away before they got close to it. But think of that person who had that in their mind. How ridiculous a notion that would be. You can't improve upon that masterpiece. Who do you think you are? If you try, you're going to ruin it. And so it is with God's masterpiece of salvation. He has completed the work. Jesus has lived for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for your salvation. God wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to embrace it. He wants you to love it. He wants you to have it as your own. There's nothing more that needs to be done to it. There's no way that you can improve upon God's salvation. If we try to, we'll ruin it all. Even the good works that we do and that we want to do, loving God, loving our neighbors, seeking to keep the commandments, the the last verse of our text explains that, that even these good works that we are doing, we're not even responsible for them. God prepared good works in advance so that we should walk in them. Glory be to God. He does it all for you and me. He brings you out of the spiritual death that you should be stuck in, and he makes you alive through something as simple as faith, a simple trust in the undeserved love that we find in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a precious, vital, comforting, assuring message this is, an important message that we should rejoice in always and always be glad to hear. All glory be to him who's done all the work of saving us. Amen.